Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died at the age of 87, but according to several highly reputable sources in the mainstream media, the late justice has never felt better and fully intends to finish out the court's term. If you thought 2020 had reached peak madness, buckle up. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Biggest news that could have possibly happened just about in the 2020 election cycle has happened. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. You know, the mainstream media have been saying now for years and years after this woman has battled all sorts of cancers and she was obviously up there in age, they keep saying, oh, she's doing great. She's fine. Not a worry at all. Uh, but, but of course, uh, they, they can't continue to uh, keep making that protestation. And, uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has gone to her eternal rest and we have gone to our eternal unrest uh, in the madness that will follow. We will get into all of the many lies <laughs> that are being told right now about what, what this means for the court, what this means for the election cycle. First, my favorite comment from Thursday. This is from GS on YouTube. Mm, I don't think China is who Hollywood has sold its soul to. That's true. That's true. It's not just China. China is a sort of stand-in. There is also a moral and a philosophical dimension here as well. And you see that, actually, that same sort of thing at play in the Supreme Court. RBG is gone, and the Democrats are threatening civil war. This from Bo Willimon. Uh, he's some show business blue check. He says, quote, we're shutting this country down if Trump and McConnell try to ram through an appointment before the election. Well, joke's on you, Bo. You already shut this country down. <laughs> you shut it down six months ago over the China virus. And really, just because Orange Man is bad, and you, you guys all thought that by shutting down the country and driving everybody crazy and crashing the economy, you'd have a better chance of winning the election. So now, now that you want to do it over a court vacancy... You can't because you've already done it. Uh, former CNN host and noted cannibal Riza Aslan tweets out, if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire effing thing down. Once again, Mr. Aslan, joke's on you. You've already been burning the country down for six months. Listen to this madness. If they try to fill a court vacancy, if they try to do one of the basic functions of government that the Constitution tells the President and the Senate to do, they will burn the country down. Well, of course, they're willing to burn the country down over anything. They're willing to burn the country down over justified use of police force. They're willing to burn the country down over the election of a Republican president. They're willing to burn the country down over just about anything. Many others are threatening violence. That's a bad reaction to Justice Ginsburg's death. How about a decent reaction? For that, we turn to President Trump, who was giving a rally when the justice passed away, when the news broke. And so he was asked, he was sort of told of this news for the first time by a, a reporter. Everyone is a little nervous. You know, sometimes President Trump can speak off the cuff and it gets, it's a little impolitic. But I have to tell you, he handled this beautifully. She just died. Wow. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. 
actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. Perfect response from the President of the United States. The fact that you had Elton John playing in the background after this rally it just makes it all the more cinematic. Hold me closer. And he's there, gives this very empathetic, really sympathetic response. So that was great. How should the rest of us react? I was actually doing a radio interview when this news broke, so I didn't have any time to think of it either. <laughs> and I was asked, breaking news, the justice has died. Uh, what's your take? First reaction is, we should pray for Justice Ginsburg's soul. We should pray that she gets to go see her old buddy Nino Scalia again. Don't forget Antonin Scalia, who we all love. Her, his best friend on the court was Ruth Ginsburg. And so we should pray for her because now she's gone and hopefully she gets to see her buddy again. I don't think we need to sugarcoat this. I've seen some conservatives come out and say, oh, wow, we all need to be like Ginsburg. She was notorious. She was so wonderful. She was so great. You don't, you don't need to say that. She stood for very bad things on the court and uh, we don't need to pretend that all of a sudden now we agree with those things. Uh, she, she certainly uh, lasted a long time and she, she certainly uh, had some good opinions and, and she had, uh, as a matter of judicial opinions, mostly bad opinions. But, uh, but, you know, she's still a human being and we should pray for her when she dies. Some people are saying this is a tragedy, that it's a tragedy that Ginsburg has died. It's not a tragedy when a woman dies at the age of 87, having accomplished everything in her life that she's wanted to accomplish. That's not a tra It's a tragedy when a little kid gets a, an illness and, and dies. It's not a tragedy when someone lives their natural life and has a life that they're happy about. Really, the only tragedy that Ruth Ginsburg endured is that the Democrats were so hell-bent on killing babies that they wouldn't let this poor woman retire. That's the tragedy. This woman didn't get two seconds of retirement because the Democrats were so intent on keeping one very bad court decision, Roe versus Wade, in play here. It, it shows you how weak that Roe v. Wade decision is because that's what all of this is about. That's what the whole thing is about is Roe versus Wade, which in 1973 invented the fictional constitutional right to kill a baby in his mother's womb. And because there's obviously no constitutional basis for that right whatsoever, the courts have become hyper-politicized. This isn't about any other issues. Obamacare, redefining marriage, even really intense issues, no, th those aren't threatened at all. By these courts. It's just Roe versus Wade. When Democrats are threatening to burn down the country right now, Reza Aslan and Bo Willimon and all these people, they're threatening to burn it down if the right to kill a baby in his mother's womb is ever even remotely threatened. Consider, that's amazing. That's an amazing fact. That shows you that Sometimes bad ideas drive people mad, or maybe spiritual things drive people mad, and it leads them to bad ideas. So it's not tragic that Ruth Ginsburg died, but it is still sad, and we should still pray for her. I'm seeing some other people now come out and say, we, who cares about Ruth Ginsburg? No, we, we should care be, because, in the words of John Donne, any man's death diminishes me because I am a part of mankind, right? So, therefore, never send for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for me. We should pray. It's a nice thing to do. And we should move on now and look at the political realities of this court. We've been told that Ruth Ginsburg's dying wish was that 
no conservative gets to replace her. <laughs> that was her dying wish. Well, I'm, I'd like to grant people's dying wish, but that's one I don't think we can grant. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, got to thank our friends over at Rock Auto. You know, I never want to go to the car parts store, mostly because I don't know anything about car parts. I don't know very much about cars, and these guys always know they can scam me. Luckily, though, I have rockauto.com, which is so much easier than walking into a store, and rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. What happens when you walk into that brick-and-mortar car parts store, they don't have the car part that you want. They go online, usually to Rock Auto, I would bet. Then they charge you double for it. Don't do it. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The thing about this website, you know that I don't know much about cars. The website is so easy to navigate. Even I can do it. And they're always fair. You don't have to look for the special gimmick at this time and that time. No, always reliably low prices. Uh, these this is a family business. You can count on them. Amazing selection. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Head on over, do it. But most important of all, write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. You know, Daily Wire is moving to the heartland pretty soon. I'm going to have to start learning how to work on cars so that I can be a proper, true American man. Guess where I'm going to go? First place when I'm working on my cars, rockauto.com. Write in Knowles so they know we sent you. According to many Democrats, I don't even know if this is true. Poor, AO, or poor RBG, rather, has been so exploited, particularly in her latter years by the left, that we don't even really know if this is true or not. But we're told her dying wish is that Trump not replace her. AOC, I don't know, I guess she has some inside knowledge here, delivers that final message. The very last dying wish of RBG was that her vacancy not be filled until the new president takes office in January. That was her dying wish. Tonight, Mitch McConnell publicly, the night that she, the night of her passing, he couldn't wait 24 hours, issued a statement saying that he was going to uh, give Trump a vote in violation of, of her dying wish. People can say how appalling, people could say this is horrible, etc. But we know who this man is. We know who this man is. This is a man who does not care about a dying woman's final wish. Clearly. Hashtag me too. I do not care about this dying wish. I certainly, I certainly do not care that this justice who I'll take Scalia at his word. Maybe she was a very nice lady, but she was hyper, hyper partisan. And I don't care that she allegedly said this very partisan thing at the end of her life. I'll tell you what, I heard, here's just what I heard. And who knows if it's true, I just heard it. That Antonin Scalia's dying wish was that Roe versus Wade be overturned. So are you really going to deny the man his dying wish? Look, it's his dying wish. He said it. It's in the Constitution. It's right there in one of the penumbras and the emanations, the dying wish doctrine that if someone on the court wants anything at the end of their life, you have to give it to them. So look, that's, I'm pretty sure that's what, also Scalia said that the treasury should give me at least four to $10 million. I rem I heard it from somebody said it and you know, it's in the penumbras. So anyway, give me, give me my money, please. Not how our constitution works, huh? There is lots of confusion about how our constitution works. Even some Republicans like 
Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins now want to honor RBG's wish and not confirm a judge. I will take you through, in a whirlwind, I will take you through all of the ridiculous and dishonest arguments going on right now about whether or not we should fill the court seat. Just to give you the top line view, should we fill the vacancy? Yes, of course we should fill the vacancy. This is going to be a very bad faith fight with a lot of bad faith arguments, including from some people on the right. In the midst of all this political posturing, everybody is missing the point. So the first argument, this is the first point that the Democrats are making. Bill Clinton just made it the other day. It's that Mitch McConnell would be a hypocrite to fill this seat in an election year after he refused to fill Antonin Scalia's seat with Obama's appointee during 2016. We're really close to the election. And uh, let's remember the example Abraham Lincoln set and let's remember the commitments and the comments Mitch McConnell made. It, I think it would be good for Senator McConnell to make him feel better when he gets up in the morning if he, if he proved that he wasn't being a hypocrite at the time and he just stuck with his position. And I think all the other Republicans could, should be asked to do the same. But, uh, you know, you can't keep a democracy if there's one set of rules for one group and another set for everybody else. You heard it from old Bubba himself, who definitely would never play by a different set of rules than his political opponents, right? No, not Bill Clinton. Are you kidding me? The Clintons? You, <laughs> they could never be hypocritical. But that's the, that's the point they're making. I don't even, I'm not even going to get into the Clintons today. The point they're making is Mitch McConnell's a hypocrite because he wouldn't, he wouldn't fill the seat in 2016, but he wants to fill it now. Well, okay, what did Mitch McConnell say? What precisely is the McConnell rule from 2016? It's campaign season. We're right in the middle of it. It's been more than 80 years since a Supreme Court vacancy arose and was filled in a presidential election year. There will not be hearings or votes. The next president, whoever that may be, is going to be the person who chooses the next Supreme Court justice. Boom. He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite, right? He has to be because he wouldn't fill the seat in 2016, but he wants to fill it now. That's the McConnell rule, except is that the eternal McConnell rule that you can't ever fill a court seat during an election year? Or was that a rule specific to that time? Well, it gets a little more complicated because at the time in 2016, Democrats were lambasting McConnell for not filling that seat. Except do you know where McConnell got that rule from? He got that rule from Joe Biden, the current Democratic nominee. We'll get to that in one second. First though, got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. You know, it's very very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft can affect your lives. You don't want to get hacked. You don't want to feel dumb because you didn't take the precautions you could at the time. But I know every, we think that no one's coming after our data. We think nobody's coming after us on the internet. They are. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet, especially now because everybody's working from home. There's homeschooling. Uh, uh, the cyber criminals have reacted to that. Good thing. There's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect that your information is there, they will send you an alert. 
What I'm hoping for you is that you go, you get LifeLock, you, you totally set it up, you get it going, and then you forget about it. And you never even have to thank me for saving your identity from being stolen. Because that's the thing, you, when, you're, when you're protected, you're protected, right? Now, you will be kicking yourself if you go and leave all of your identity out there on the internet, and then you have to deal with some problems. I promise you, just go take care of it now. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Now, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can find out if your information is on the dark web. Get your free dark web scan at lifelock.com slash Knowles. Pick the plan that's right for you. Save up to 25% off your first year with promo code Knowles. Free scan at lifelock.com slash Knowles. 25% off with promo code Knowles. K-N-W-L-E-S. So McConnell's a hypocrite, right? Because he wouldn't fill the seat then, and he wants to fill the seat now. But he was evil then. Remember, they were all upset that he wouldn't fill the seat then. So then by their logic, shouldn't, shouldn't they be excited that we're going to fill the seat now? Well, I don't know, because the McConnell rule actually comes from the Biden rule, which was given back in 1992, where Joe Biden said, absolutely not, under no circumstances, should the president put forth the nominee. Now, why did he say that? Because there was a Republican president who would be picking the nominee. It is my view that if a Supreme Court justice resigns tomorrow or within the next several weeks, or resigns at the end of the summer, President Bush should consider following the practice of a majority of his predecessors and not, and not name a nominee until after the November election is completed. The Senate too, Mr. President, must consider how it re would, would respond to a Supreme Court vacancy that would occur in the full throes of an election year. It is my view that if the President goes the way of Presidents Fillmore and Johnson and presses an election year nomination, the Senate Judiciary Committee should seriously consider not scheduling confirmation hearings on the nomination until ever, until after the political campaign season is over. Okay, now this is getting really complicated because it turns out that that McConnell rule in 2016 that the Democrats were so upset about was actually invented by Joe Biden, who's the guy that they just picked to be their nominee for president this year. So to put it into perspective, you've got on the side of do not appoint a judge nominee in an election year, you've got Biden in 92 and McConnell in 2016. And then on the side of appoint a judge in an election year, you've got McConnell in 2020. But it gets even more complicated than that because it turns out that Joe Biden after 2016, Joe Biden in uh, 2020 is for confirming a judge in an election year. Here is, here is Joe, I guess not Joe Biden in 2020 because Joe Biden's changed his tune again. But this is now uh, Joe Biden, not in 1992, after the Merrick Garland fiasco, saying yes, they should have confirmed a judge. I made it absolutely clear that I would go forward with the confirmation progress process as chairman, even a few months before presidential election. If the nominee were chosen with the advice and not merely the consent of the Senate, <clears throat> just as the Constitution requires. Just as the Constitution requires, President can put forth a nominee, and that's great. We'll have him. So I'm, I'm sorry to keep you spinning in a whirlwind of changing opinions. Biden 92, don't put a judge on the court. Biden 2016, 2017, yes, put a judge on the court. McConnell back in 2016, 
Do not put the judge on the court, McConnell 2020, put the judge on the court. Democrats now saying, absolutely, you cannot put the judge on the court in an election year. Democrats in 2016, all of the top Democrats in 2016, you must put the judge on the court. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not but they go forward with the process. What we're seeing here, and I hope this is temporary, is a disrespect for the Constitution. The Constitution is 100% clear. The President of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a Justice of the Supreme Court. Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. The blockade on filling a naturally occurring vacancy, in my view, is harmful to the independence of the Article III branch. You cannot keep a seat on the Supreme Court, which represents all of us. You cannot keep it vacant against the Constitution. Do pretty much everything they can to avoid acknowledging the legitimacy of our democratically elected president. The American people expect the president's nominee to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. Oh, I love that symphony. I love that symphony because you have every top Democrat in 2016 making the opposite argument than they are making right now. And sure, maybe McConnell's doing that a little bit too. And Joe Biden's done it multiple times, totally swinging from side to side. Does this mean that they're hypocrites? No, it means they're very funny. It means they're very funny people. And it means that some of them are unserious people, but it does not actually mean that they're hypocrites. At least McConnell's not a hypocrite. The people trying to make the eternal arguments universal, here's the rule for all time. There's a little hypocrisy there. But the people making the argument, no, in this election year, we shouldn't put up a judge. In this election year, maybe we should put up a judge. That's not hypocritical. That is about power. This is a very simple issue. The Constitution says that the president has the right to put forward a judge nominee. The Senate has the right to advise and consent to or reject that nominee. And then when they consent to it, the judge is put on the court. Very simple. There is nothing complicated about that. There's nothing controversial about that. Anybody who is trying to tell you that this is complicated or controversial is deceiving you or deceiving themselves. So what changes? Well, what changes is power. Right now, we have a Republican president and a Republican Senate. So we can probably, maybe, except the Republicans are so useless, but we can maybe get a judge nominee through. Good. 2016, you had a Democrat president, a Republican Senate. They weren't going to get a judge nominee through. Okay, cool. Great. That's power. That's how it works. There's nothing hypocritical about elected politicians using the power entrusted in them by the people according to the Constitution. Nothing hypocritical at all. All about power. What, there is a kind of funny coincidence here, which is that this brutal confirmation process for the Supreme Court was a very modern thing. And it is in part Joe Biden's legacy. It's Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden, Joe Biden with Clarence Thomas, Ted Kennedy with Judge Bork. And it's all about Roe v. Wade. It's all about abortion. This started when conservative Judge Bork was being put up for the court in the 1980s. And Kennedy used in particular the issue of abortion to demagogue the issue. In Robert Bork's America, there is no room at the end for blacks and no place in the Constitution for women. And in our America, there should be no seat on the Supreme Court for Robert Bork. 
Mr. Bork has been equally extreme in his opposition to the right to privacy. In an article in 1971, he said in effect that a husband and wife have no greater right to privacy under the Constitution than a smokestack has to pollute the air. This was unprecedented in Supreme Court nominations where you have this, this murderer, Ted Kennedy. That's not, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, right? That Ted Kennedy, this womanizing drunk killer of his mistress, comes out and calls Judge Borg, an absolutely upright man, some sort of a sexist. That's a beautiful thing. And that it's so hilarious. It's so outrageous that it, it, it strains credulity. He calls him a racist too. Of course, you're going to call him all these things. And he shoots down the nomination of a qualified guy. These judges used to sail through. They'd be confirmed unanimously. But because in particular, the issue of Roe v. Wade was decided on such preposterous constitutional grounds, they now need to have their own hyper-partisans in the mold of Breyer or Ginsburg or any of these other people to be put on the bench to protect that fictional right. And they do it and they do it. And instead of Bork, we got Kennedy and Kennedy became a liberal and threw our jurisprudence into absolute madness. Biden tried to do this to Clarence Thomas when, when he was nominated by George H.W. Bush. He tried to do it to Thomas. Fortunately, Thomas was a bit quicker on his feet. He was a little more clever, totally shut it down. Committee will please come to order. Judge, it's a tough day and tough night for you, I know. Let me uh, ask, do you have anything you'd like to say before we begin? This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the US, US Senate rather than hung from a tree. You know, you can't see it in that particular clip, but you can see it in others. The minute that Clarence Thomas brings this point up, the, the high-tech lynching point, Joe Biden, who's chairing the committee, his head goes right down. He goes, oh, shoot. We're the only ones who are supposed to play the race card. The race card's for Democrats. Republicans can't play the race card. Ah, darn. Guess we're going to have to let this guy through, huh? It's a, it's a beautiful, you should watch the entire statement that, that uh, Clarence Thomas gives. At that point there at the end, he goes, this is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves. And they'll be lynched by a committee of the Senate rather than hung from a tree. Guess what happened? Then they confirmed him. Didn't work. This was the moment that Andrew Breitbart says made him conservative. It radicalized him because he saw that even, even more than the borking, what they would do to any conservative who threatened the liberal regime of completely imaginary constitutional rights that was subverting our constitution. So Democrats did this. Joe Biden in particular did this. They've been doing it for over 40 years. Republicans have never done this. We've never done this to any Democratic judicial nominee. Part of me is hoping that Trump will nominate Merrick Garland just so that the Democrats will be forced to call him a rapist because that's the new thing. Now, if, you, if you're put up for the Supreme Court, you're called a rapist. That's the rule. 
They'll do it to any, they'll probably do it to Amy Barrett. Amy Barrett is now considered to be the leading contender to replace Ruth Ginsburg. Well, we'll get into that in one second. We'll get into who and how we should fill this vacancy. Uh, Lots of, lots of takes from the left that are actually the opposite of, uh, of the reality. It tells us a lot more about the left-wing view of women and the judiciary than the conservative view, which we'll get into in one second. But first, if you watch this podcast on YouTube, you got to know that on September 28th, it will be moving from the Daily Wire channel to be available exclusively on my YouTube channel, The Michael Knowles Show. You can get the link in the description below. Some people have written in to ask if I am leaving The Daily Wire. I saw, actually saw some people uh, in Orange County yesterday came up to me and said, oh, you're leaving The Daily Wire. I'm not leaving The Daily Wire. Ben Shapiro is not so lucky. Uh, we're all staying on The Daily Wire, but we're moving the show the, the live shows every single day to the show YouTube channels. This has more to do with big tech than it does anything with the Daily Wire. So subscribe over to the YouTube channel, Michael Knowles Show. Ring the bell. Make sure you never miss out on a new video. Head on over to dailywire.com. We will be right back with a whole lot more. Should we fill the vacancy? Absolutely. Uh, Should we get rid of the filibuster to do it? Absolutely. One issue now is that we have this rule called the filibuster, which means you need 60 votes to get anything done, not a simple majority. Uh, Should we get rid of it? Yes. The filibuster is not part of the Constitution. It's only been theoretically possible since 1806. It's only been used since the mid-19th century. It's only really been used in earnest since the 1970s. And Harry Reid and the Democrats got rid of it for most appointees, executive and judicial, back in 2013. And McConnell warned him. He said, don't do this. You're going to regret it. Well, now's the time for it to be regretted by the Democrats. They're already promising to get rid of it. If they come to power, we won't get any cookies or brownie points for maintaining this tradition and and tying one arm behind our back. So yeah, absolutely. 100% fill the post. Question is, who should it be? The leading contender right now, Amy Coney Barrett. Three words that strike fear under the heart of the liberals. Who is Amy Barrett? She's an appeals court judge. She's a mother of seven five biological children, two adopted children from Haiti. She's a law professor, obviously qualified. We don't know much about her judicial philosophy, actually. We know she clerked for Scalia, but you know, she's young. She's been on the bench not too long. Still, the left hates her guts. Why? Two big reasons. First one, they hate her primarily because she's Catholic. Here is Senator Democrat Dianne Feinstein lambasting her because the Catholic dogma lives loudly within her. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. It's a big concern because Catholics aren't allowed on the Supreme Court because our constitution establishes a religious test for president and you need to belong to the religion of secular liberalism. You can't possibly be a Christian. That would be (laughs) un-American. That's the argument she's making. Luckily, Dianne Feinstein is far too ignorant to know that that's the argument that she's making, but it's a deeply anti-American argument. The things she is saying right there violate the constitution. Even asking those questions is a violation of the constitution. Dick Durbin, another leading Democrat, a little bit quicker on his feet than Dianne Feinstein, falls into precisely the same trap. 
You use a term in that article, or you both use a term in that article I'd never seen before. You refer to Orthodox Catholics. What's an Orthodox Catholic? Um, as I recall, that term, um, we said something like, for lack of a better term, we're using the term Orthodox Catholic, and there was a long footnote saying, you know, that that was an imperfect term. Uh, it could, you know, refer to Orthodox Judaism, you know, Greek Orthodox. And so we kind of cast about, but what that term was designed to capture, because we were talking about conscientious objection, was a judge who um, accepted the church's teaching that the death penalty would be impermissible in that case. Do you consider yourself an Orthodox Catholic? I am a Catholic, Senator Durbin. I, I don't, well, Orthodox Catholic, we kind of, as I said, in that article, we just kind of use that as a proxy. It is not, to my knowledge, you know, a term currently in use, but if you're asking whether I take my faith seriously and I'm a faithful Catholic, I am, although I would stress that my personal church affiliation or my religious belief would not bear on the discharge of my duties as a judge. She gave a very long judicial sort of judicious answer here, but a simpler answer is what do you mean you've never heard of Orthodox Catholic? Dick Durbin is not a stupid man. He says, I've never heard that Orthodox Catholic. Well, let me spell it out for you, Senator Durbin. Orthodox, meaning you actually believe the things that you say that you believe. Catholic, meaning you're a Catholic. You're, you're part of the Catholic Church. You could be a heterodox Catholic, meaning you consider yourself a Catholic, but you don't believe the things that the Catholic Church believes. You could be a heretic, a heretical Catholic. You could openly preach things against what the Catholic Church teaches, even though you consider yourself a Catholic. Or you can be an Orthodox Catholic and actually believe the things that the Catholic Church teaches. And that's the issue here. Because when Democrats use the term Catholic, they say, I'm a devout Catholic. My Catholic faith is important to me. What they really mean is, I have Christmas dinner. I maybe go to Mass sometimes if I want to. That's what they mean. I, Joe Biden's a devout Catholic. He thinks that taxpayers should, should pay to kill babies in the womb up until the moment of birth, but he's a, which, which Catholics are not permitted to believe, but you know, he's a devout Catholic. Some Democrats say, yeah, I, I support socialism, but I'm a devout Catholic. You're not allowed to be a socialist if you're a Catholic. So what they mean by devout Catholic is they think that religion is this kind of little ornament and it's this sweet little thing that maybe you do in the privacy of your own home because you're afraid of the dark and it's a little superstition like knocking on wood or, or any other superstition. But you don't take it seriously. You don't think it means anything. You certainly don't believe all that crazy stuff that those churches say. And the Democrats are shocked to find a woman who is intelligent, who is articulate, who is accomplished, who actually thinks it's true. And now, there are a lot of Catholics and, and, and Christians and people who think this way, but the Democrats don't meet them. They're always shocked. They, they say, you, don't, you couldn't possibly believe that stuff. So that's the first reason they hate her. Second reason they hate her is because she disproves all their stupid theories about how women are supposed to be. On paper, she is everything a woman should be or could be. The left always says women can have it all right? And usually what that means is that women should go and delay getting married and delay having children and just work for the widget factory. And, you know, they should go cut their hair and they should go only vote for Democrats and they should have lots of abortions and they should, uh, I don't know, what are all the things? I'm trying to mix the high and the low, you know, you should get like stupid, like really like ugly haircuts, 
Like, do you remember that thing that the Democrats were doing years ago? The feminist women were doing, it's like, it is very un- unpleasant. And the very important things like they should engage in abortion or they should form families in a certain way or this or that or this or that. That's what the Democrats say. You can, you can have it all. That's the promise that you can have a career, have a family, have kids, do all these things you want. Usually it doesn't work out that way. So you have to fall into one, one camp or the other. But for Amy Barrett, it did work out that way. She had five biological kids. She then adopted two children from Haiti. They'll find some way to call her a racist, I'm sure. She found a way to have this incredibly successful legal career. And yet they still hate her. How do they hate her? She did what most of them never could do. She had it all. Well, it's because she doesn't think the way that they do. New York Times runs a piece. Two conservatives. Barrett has perfect combination of attributes for the Supreme Court. Maybe that's true for conservatives, but actually it's more true for liberals. The headline should read, to liberals, Barrett has the perfect combination of attributes for the Supreme Court. She's a woman, and they think that a woman needs to replace Ruth Ginsburg. She's has it all. She has had this great career, but she hasn't had to sacrifice in her personal life, or not at least that we can see. She checks all of these kind of boxes, right? I don't care that Amy Barrett's a woman. I don't think a woman needs to replace RBG on the Supreme Court. I don't think a woman needs to have it all, you know, needs to have this very intense career and have a total family life. I don't, I don't think you have to do that, but they do. And she did it, but she doesn't think the way that they think. So now all of a sudden they hate her. They're going to try to kick her out. Uh, we absolutely should push her through if for no other reason than to trigger the libs. It'll be very, very funny. Uh, also the reason we need to push her through, I think we should all get on board. If it's her, it might be, so there are a couple other people who are being talked about. She's the leading contender right now, but the reason we need to push through this nominee, if the nominee is in any way acceptable to conservatives, is because we're in a bare knuckle moment of politics right now. We're not in a nice deliberative moment of politics where all these judicial nominees get unanimously confirmed. That's gone. And the Democrats ruined that. And so we've got to play. We've got to participate in the politics that we actually have. This is bare knuckle stuff. Right now, there's a poll out that just, just 22% of Americans believe that this year's presidential election will be free and fair. This according to Yahoo News and YouGov. 22%, little over one in five Americans, think the election will be free and fair. Half of Trump supporters say the election will not be free and fair. More than a third of Biden supporters agree it will not be free and fair. It's about 46% say that the election will not be free and fair, which is more than twice the percentage of Americans who say that it will be. You're now at a place where a small number of Americans have faith in that institution of our free elections. So now you've got to exercise power in a way that's a little less subtle than perhaps you would in the past. In the past. Part of the reason why I think Americans don't believe all this stuff is that everything seems fake right now. The lockdown has really contributed to this. There are a lot of reasons why we don't have faith in our institutions anymore, but One reason I haven't heard people talk about, and it does come from COVID, is the degree to which now everything is virtual, everything is digital. The Emmys were last night. I know that nobody watched it. But what was so weird about the Emmys is that the Emmys didn't really take place. It looked like they took place, but they didn't. What happened was the 
Emmys used Jimmy Kimmel on a green screen to host the thing and then cut to footage from past years to make it seem like people were laughing at the jokes he made. The jokes weren't that funny. The, the way you knew there was a laugh track is that people were laughing at it. It sounded like people were laughing at them. So, you know, that couldn't possibly have happened. The whole thing was just a weird virtual award show. Take a listen. Well, hello and welcome to the pandemies. Wow, it's great to finally see people again. Thank you for risking everything to be here. Thank me for risking everything to be here. You know what they say, you can't have a virus without a host. The big question that I guess we should answer is, why would you have an award show in the middle of a pandemic? No, seriously, I'm asking, why are we having an award show in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> and what the hell am I doing here? This is the year they decide they have to have a host? A lot of groaners in Jimmy's monologue was not very good. And then you're looking out in the crowd, you say, wait, none of them are wearing masks. Wait, they're all together. Wait, they're laughing at those dumb jokes. Oh, because it's all fake. The whole thing is fake. And so this is a problem. It's not Jimmy Kimmel's fault necessarily or the Emmys. This is one that has grown over time. And it's not even our politician's fault. It's a, actually a technological problem. I, I was reading an article about deep fakes the other day, deep fake photos and videos where it looks like someone is saying something that they aren't actually saying. And part of me actually welcomes this into politics because now we live in such a gotcha moment of politics that I think it would be, it would actually maybe help our politics if we can't trust video as much video footage, you know, and just say like, I don't know, maybe that's real. Maybe that's not real. We'd have to start actually listening to the arguments that our politicians are making and looking at their actual records rather than just these kind of silly gotcha moments. But one effect of this technology is we don't trust reality anymore. <laughs> we, don't, we don't trust even things that we see with our own eyes because we know that they can be manipulated, like the Emmys or even like our politicians. Because it's not just the Emmys that was glitching out. It's Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi was giving an interview on ABC News. And Halfway through the interview, it seems like her brain just melted and she didn't know what to say. And she kind of glitched out for a second. Then they got the wires working again. And she continued. Ten states, as I said, on Friday, I started their early voting the, the day that we lost but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. The... Uh, we have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. You're going to look at George Stephanopoulos doing the interview. He's obviously a, a, Cl a Clinton spokesman. He's a, a Democrat flack. And even he's looking at her. He's like, what did I just witness? What happened to you? you huh? She just kind of totally glitches out for about 10 seconds in there and then gets back into it. So we think, okay, I can't trust what I see on video. I can't trust that these politicians are at all with it. They're completely, it's like they're, they're not even alive. It's like they're just, we're relying on these people who have been in public life now for 750 years, who, t who seem to have a very tenuous grasp on reality. So we can't trust them to make persuasive arguments. More and more, this is just a bare knuckle brawl for interests. And then you have the Democratic nominee for president who probably has 
the least solid grasp on reality, just gave a speech about the coronavirus in which he said that two thirds of the country was about to die. It's estimated that 200 million people have died, probably by the time I finish this talk. But the complication of COVID-19, like lung scarring and heart damage, could become the next deniable pre-existing condition for over 6 million Americans. 200 millions are going to die before Joe Biden finishes speaking. That's two thirds of the country. I've got a 67% chance of dying. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye. I thought that I had a 99.7% chance of survival, even if I got the virus, but turns out just a regular Joe on the street has a two thirds chance of dying. Of course, uh, that is not true. Joe Biden was off by several numbers, mathematics, critical thought, economics never has been the Democrats strong suit. Obviously he's not with it either. So you look around and you just say, gosh, nobody is, is even capable of making arguments right now that could allow us to use reason and use prudence to govern ourselves as our constitution was intended. And there's a, a deeper problem too that goes to Trevor Noah. A lot of problems go to Trevor Noah. He's the guy who took over the Daily Show after Jon Stewart and then everybody stopped watching it. Trevor Noah said something on his show a few weeks ago. And all this RBG court talk ha has brought it back to me, which is uh, Trevor Noah was talking about the wildfires and how the wildfires in the West were started by a gender reveal party. And he made a joke about the gender reveal party. But what was so weird about it was the, the basis of the joke was not common sense. Usually, usually what would happen is you're, you're making a joke and the joke is something bizarre and fantastical. That's what the setup is. And then the punchline brings you back to common sense. But with Trevor Noah's joke, the punchline was that gender is socially constructed and we won't know somebody's gender until they're 18 or so. The, the, the premise of the joke, the setup was actually the common sense and the punchline was bizarro world. It, it was an inversion of a normal joke. Take a listen. Guys, this has to stop, right? Or at least if you insist on a gender reveal, you should do something that helps the situation. The water's pink. It's a girl. And aside from all the damage it can cause, celebrating a baby's genitalia is starting to feel very outdated. Like given everything we're learning about gender, gender reveal parties should only happen when the child is old enough to know their actual gender and to pitch in some cash for the fire damage. So he gets that little like little jokey bit in at the very end, which is, yeah, and they've got to be able to pitch in cash too. But he's dead serious when he says we should hold off on gender reveals until the kid is old enough to choose his own gender. So you're now flipping a joke, but not to him, because to him, that's common sense. To a lot of people in the country, maybe not a lot, maybe not half the country, but let's say a third or so of these hardened left wingers seriously believe that you can't tell if a baby is a boy or a girl at birth that you have to wait until they decide whether they're boys or girls, and maybe they're boys and they become girls or vice versa. And what that shows you is the country is more divided than we have ever been, more divided than we were at the time of, the, of slavery, more divided than we were at the time of the Civil War. The issue of slavery was uh, practically a much tougher issue than the issue of gender or whatever, right? Because you're actually talking about all of these Americans held in bondage. 
But the division over slavery was a, it was a division over a group of people. It wasn't, a, it was a division basically over if someone is a man or not a man. But it wasn't a division over essentially what a man is or is not. The, the, the issue of, of the Civil War, the issue of whether or not a certain group of people qualifies into humanity is a specific problem because some people didn't recognize humanity in a, in a whole swath of the Earth's population. But now what we're talking about is people don't recognize humanity at all. They don't recognize human nature at all. That's a much deeper divide. So I don't see any way to bridge that. Now, if you've, if you've got a, a huge number of political activists saying they're going to burn the country down if you in any way threaten their right to kill a baby in the womb, that's not recognizing human nature. That's not, that's, that's not recognizing humanity at all. If you've got people in this country who don't believe that there's such a thing as sex so fundamental to our human nature, how do you bridge that? Who, how do you have a self-governing republic? How do you make persuasive arguments when you preclude the possibility of logical argument? Then you just have a bare knuckle brawl. And that's what we've been seeing for the past six months in this country. Something tells me it's only going to get crazier at least through election day, probably afterward as well. On that happy note, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Walsh Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.